hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on it so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com drink. That's rosettastone.com drink. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc.com slash drink. All right. Looks like it's working. Time to really test this out. Oh my! You would think after three years we'd have like a solid format, like a like a good trusted routine by now. But like every goddamn day is a different. We problem. kind of just stumble in and say, well, "Now what?" Um. So hello, <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, attempting to record this. Um. Finally, I'm sorry about last week releasing a live episode. That was not the plan, um, but M's computer kind of, you know, took a it. took a turn. Took well, a so turn. my so I have the same laptop that I got when I graduated college. So I've had it for as long as I've known Christine, literally. Yeah, and Aww. it was and it's worked. It still work. I feel I've been having like such a guilt complex over this because basically my computer has worked totally fine until we started recording from home. And I think my computer just couldn't handle that much. Yeah. And then I started having to like delete all my storage for it to work. And even then it only worked for like 10 minutes and then it would mess up again. So yeah. I ended up having to go out and get a whole new laptop. And I feel like such a okay. douche. No, I got one last year and I had the same thing where I'd had it since 2012. And so um, I'd had it like, I don't know, seven years. And I felt really guilty because I was like, well, technically it works, but it's just too slow for yeah. work stuff. 
what I did, because <laughs> I'm the master at like, um, you know, attempting to overcome my constant guilt. Um, so what I did <laughs> was I gave my old one to Blaze and he like uses it now from home when he needs it. So if you like know anyone who could just use the laptop, that's what I did. So I like, I, that's what I, well, a while ago, Allison really wanted a new laptop because she's had one since like 2009 or something. Since she like met that. me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and so we kept saying like, oh, well, you know, I plan on getting a new laptop. Eventually you can have mine. Cause it's at least like a 2015 or 2014. And it's like, you can use that one. And, but then hers, I think like crapped out oh, too so recently she or she got a, she got an iPad and hasn't needed a, a computer sense or something. So I just felt really bad because other than recording audio, that laptop still works flawlessly. You wouldn't know it was from like six years ago. So I felt really bad. So I don't now know. I'm I was to... with you one time when you turned it on and we had to sit there for like 15 minutes. Oh, waiting you're for it right. To... <laughs> okay. Maybe it, maybe it was aging a little quicker than I. And I only know I that because lo- I have a new computer and I was like, <laughs> oh shit. I didn't realize how old my last computer was, but look at it as your work. Maybe computer. I just. It's a work expense. You're, you're right. doing it for the listeners. You're right. Also, I do want to make one more comment that my hair is getting insane. <gasps> oh, it's dear. like. Jimmy like Neutron. I look, I look like, yeah, I look like the guy from The Incredibles. Holy um, smokes. And I've never noticed how, like, janky my glasses are. Do you notice how sideways they are? Oh, mine are like that because my ears are crooked. My ears so are too, I don't but notice I've, it. I've never, like, been so self-conscious about my ears. <laughs> like, this is, this is normal, but this is, like, an inch above my ear. <laughs> wow. So, basically... Uh, <laughs> The reason we haven't been filming these, I guess, is because of our many flaws. I look like um, a Mr. Potato Head that like wasn't made properly in the factory. <laughs> My ears all messed up. Okay. Uh, well, anyway. anyway, now that we're done complaining, I mean, that's a joke. We're never done complaining. Um, I did want to say, oh, Em, what are you drinking today? This is relevant. Oh, I'm drinking an orange lava burst high C. I'm drinking two of them. A juice, a literal juice box. Well, Christine was taking a little bit to like figure out how to record. And I was like, this is perfect because I need my I was yawning every 30 seconds. And I was like, I need my sugar. Actually, what you said was everything happens for a reason. I need a juice box. (laughs) I'd been thinking about it. And then I took that as my as my moment. (laughs) Well, I have um, just things I want to say before we start and then I forget and then I get mad at myself later. So uh, a couple updates, especially since we didn't record last week, is that um, our Patreon, we're like still plugging away on there. So there's new stuff happening. Um, We are selling tour merch officially because a lot of people have requested that since they can't come to a live show, um, that they wanted to order something like to wear to the next live or to the rescheduled show, or they didn't get a chance to buy it at the show they went to. Um, So we're, we released it to donators, uh, quote unquote, for uh, now until the 22nd. And then on the 22nd, we're going to release it publicly. Um, and that's one update. Oh, and have we never talked about Eva Write That Down on Patreon. We've literally never once. I know. And I feel <clears throat> bad. So Eva's doing this amazing thing called Eva Write That Down, where she's literally going like the actual things that we've told her to write down. She's going through her old notebooks when she actually wrote them down yeah. um, and took us seriously. LOL. Back and when she was brand new and literally thought that she had to write these things like, I guess down. this like, is my job. Our most wild demands. It's like so our most funny. outlandish requests. The first one was like a uh, holy water super soaker. And like watching her just read them for the first time being like, <laughs> wait, was so amazing. And so that's on Patreon too. Um, <clears throat> I just want to point, we're trying, we're trying to like put content out there since we can't be together. Um, 
and Eva's doing some stuff. CK's doing some stuff. And um, our patron of the week is Chloe. Yay. Yay, Chloe. Thank you. Also, Chloe our, the merch uh, goes out to the public, right, on the 22nd? 22nd, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, um, that's at atwwdmerch.com. And uh, this is kind of delayed. I'm sure anyone who's a uh, <clears throat> diehard uh, of their show already knows this, but because we didn't get to say it last week because I was busy getting a new laptop, um, I was on a recent ep- episode of Morbid, um, so I just wanted to give them a shout out. Thank you for having me. It was very fun. We ended up recording for like three hours. It's a and long just, episode. Like, <laughs> I was yeah. like, holy shit, I have two hours left in this episode. Well, I felt really bad because I wanted to like come with a story that was going to be like really good and really juicy. And then I ended up like picking this story kind of out of thin air. And then after I picked it, I started doing more research on it. And I was like, holy shit, this story is too juicy. And I couldn't find anything to cut out. So then I ended up having like a full blown normal. No, but and that's it's where great. You drink, like, that's why it's fun. It I just, really I felt fun. that, but they, they were troopers. They yeah, sat there for the whole so great. 45 minutes. And like we, I feel like we've been talking to them for a while. Like they came to one of our Boston shows. We had put them on the list for our Boston show, which obviously got canceled or postponed. Sorry. Um, cause that's where they are located. And, um, I feel like finally we're like making actual, I feel like buddies been like DMS and texts, but now it's like actual content collab, yeah. collab, you cool. know? Yeah. Now we're, we are not just business buds. Now we're just buds. Bud buds. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Anyway, so that's very exciting. That was a great episode. Um, check that out. And uh, yeah, that's all my updates. I think that's all my updates. Huzzah. I don't do much. I don't do as much as Christine does with your YouTube shows and stuff like that. Oh. I'm just like, I got Marvel Monday and that's I was like, it. what do I do? I've literally not changed out of this sweatshirt in three days. Um. <laughs> also, you're in a sweatshirt, so that means you're not in your like hot as hell room right now. Yeah. You know, I thought that was a good idea because I was like, look, I want to promote our merch. And then I was like, wait, it's so hot in here. But actually, it's it's better. I put the AC on for like three hours before coming in here and turning it off. So it feels like fine. It's like 75 degrees. So it's not great. Not it's terrible. Good, not great. Good, not great. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway. Oh, also, quick note. This is extremely important. If you are watching this um, on YouTube, you can see, um, look, your friend Skylar. You can see Deb the Web and Skylar reflected in this um picture i'll move it so everyone can see um i was like what is that square oh that's devil web and skylar waving to you em they miss you the fact that they legitimately wave because there's some sort of weird draft in that (laughs) section of your ceiling it's the grossest because i'm like this is precious like a spider web is waving but that also means at any second it could just decide to let go and fly right into my face. Float. Just very gently drape Just float. on me. I, uh, there's so many memes going around that are like, oh, like day 70 in quarantine. And I'm like befriending all the spiders. And I'm like, oh, please, I've been doing that since 1991. Like, <laughs> You've been I started this trend. Come on, everyone. Join me. Befriend your neighborhood bugs. Anyway, that's my only. <laughs> Great. Uh, I have not made friends with any bugs. Um, Aww, what a bummer for you. I hate I that for you. I, I, I'm fine with it. I think I'm going to make it through. Um, <laughs> that's about it on my end. I'm still just friends with the two other humans that live here. So, oh, wow. That must be um, tough. Which by the way is a test to like, you know, this is day 58 for us mm-hmm. and I'm not sick of either of them. I think that's oh, a good sign. That is I, a good like, sign. Haven't been annoyed once by either of them. 
this is like the ultimate relationship test, I think, for everyone. Even if you're alone, like a relationship with yourself. <laughs> I feel like, like it's just like the ultimate test. Today we got, um, did you hear about the extension? Yes. Yeah. So I guess we're going to be doing this for a <laughs> <We're> while. <stuck. laughs> a while. A while. Um, um, yeah. So that's that's same old, same old, I guess, over here. It's about to be same old, same old. It's going to mm-hmm. get same old, same old. So anyway. Anyway, uh, I'm also drinking a smoothie because people are going to wonder why I have a are you not going to tell us what's in it? It's actually a Daily Harvest smoothie, which is um, actually a sponsor of today's episode, which I did not do on purpose. And that's why We Drink is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your terms. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I don't know this for a fact, but it's my opinion that there is no easier way to build a website than Squarespace because of this drag-and-drop technology. It gets better every year, and it is just, you when you think it can't get any better and easier, it does. I've been using Squarespace since 2017. Um, And in that time, they have just proven themselves to be the best and easiest way to make a website. So anytime I make a website for any reason, that's where I go. When you're ready to get started, you can use one of Squarespace's professional website templates with designs for every category, and then you can customize it. You can customize the look, add new content, add features to fit your unique needs. It's just a great spot to have a landing page for you, for your business, for whatever it is you're trying to market or showcase. Squarespace is the best platform to use, in my opinion. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um, so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department Love that thing. And that's why we drink listeners can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about 
an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure, you know, it'll work in your garden. Um, They have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac. And so I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind, especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things, but Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. Well, you're going to like my story. Um, I didn't know this existed. I So, I mean, full disclosure, one of the things that I'm always terrified of with our show is that one day I'm going to run out of material. It just freaks me out because yeah. compared to the world of crime and murder, <laughs> How sad there's is a that? Like, I'm never going to run out. (laughs) (laughs) Nervous laughing. Um, But so uh, I'm always nervous that I'm going to run out of at least juicy material because, like, probably two-thirds of the stories that I could cover, I can't because they're either really short or, like, there's not really a lot to them. Um, So when it comes to, like, the really meaty stories, dare I say, Mm -hmm. um, I always get nervous. But I recently found this website that actually had a, like – a good list of topics that I had never heard of and they're all pretty juicy. So I'm, okay. I'm feeling a little relief. Are we allowed um, to know the website or is that like your secret? Mm, I, well, the answer is yes. I just don't remember the website right now. Oh. I have it somewhere <laughs> in my sources, but my I bad. Like, sorry. It's like not at the top of my head. It's a, I don't remember. I really don't remember. We'll um, say it next week or something. I'll check my bookmarks later and, and let everyone know, but cool. Uh, so anyway, one of the topics that I found was the story of a man named Harry Price. And I don't know if you've heard of Harry Price. No. I had not. Apparently, he is the original ghost hunter. What? What, what, what? What, 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 what? what, what? Oh, the high seas kicking in. Oh, Christ. Okay. Uh, we're lava bursting over here. Okay. So. Um, <laughs> Every time people are like, do you miss them? I'm like. 
Um, I'll think for a minute. And now it, it answers, the, the question answers itself. Anyway. It does. You never have to answer it. Just be like, refer to this minute of this episode. <laughs> this timestamp. <laughs> so Harry Price is known as the original ghost hunter, also known as the father of ghost hunting. So this story's a little long, so I'm going to try to speed through, you know, whatever a bo- the boring intro is, although I don't think it's really boring at all. Um, so we start back in 1881. As you do. And I, I, you in 1881. Sorry. Oh, where do where should I start again? Um the can you just say like the beginning in, in whatever I heard uh, as you do, but I didn't hear what happened before. Oh uh, sorry. Okay. So uh I'm just gonna start a little bit a while ago. So um Harry Price is known as the original ghost hunter. He's also known as the father of ghost hunting. So um I'm going, it's a little long, this story, but I'm going to try to quickly get through the, um, I guess the boring intro, the history. It's not that it's not boring though. It's, it's all really juicy. So what's interesting about this is my stories. Hmm. I like to think of them as the Marvel cinematic universe. I I know you do. We all know you do. (laughs) Because once you cover enough of these cases, they start overlapping when it comes to characters. So, Oh, oh, that's right. Like with Houdini and stuff. So Houdini gets mentioned a little bit in here. Um, and if you if you did listen to our Houdini episode, you're going to realize there's a lot of um, similarities. And a, like it's almost like the exact same story with different twists. Okay. So this is in 1881 um, where Harry Price is born in London. Apparently he would like – he was outspoken about saying he was born somewhere else, but every record is like, no, dude, you were born in London. What a weird thing to say. Okay. Or to so, lie about. <laughs> I, I don't know why he would. It, he was still like born in the same area, I think. But anyway, he was born in London. Um, and his parents were a grocer and a traveling salesman. And at eight years old, he saw his first performance by a stage magician named the Great Saka. And... Mm. That began his interest in the supernatural. He was like, this is the moneymaker. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) He knew. (laughs) He was like, this is what's going to absolutely get me to the top. Same with me, by the way, when I saw a clown for the first time. Oh, God. (laughs) So That's it. That's it. I can stop here. (laughs) Um, I can see my McMansion now. (laughs) With a chimney that honks like a clown nose. (laughs) Oh, I found... You can't see it, but on my little step stool geek corner, I like yeah. to call it my geek corner, I found my sassy nose. Oh, good. Oh, the one that's like molded to your nose. That freaks me out. That's the one. Um, oh, I did a clown episode on the X-Teen Files this week, and I talked oh, I about know. you. <laughs> I, I talked I watched about you. It, I watched it last night, I, and I was like, God damn it, Christine. <laughs> um, oh. So... Uh, yeah, so at eight, he saw his first stage magician and was like, this is obviously the route for me. Obviously. Um, he became an amateur conjurer himself and began collecting books on magic. And his first, he actually had his first investigation in the spiritual world when he was 15. So his first, it's not really his official first ghost hunt, but he started getting interested in magic and kind of the same route as Houdini, where he was like, if I'm a conjurer, I know all the tricks of the trade, so I want to mm. start debunking stuff. Makes so sense. he started kind of doing amateur investigations at 15 with one of his friends. Um, also at 15, he founded the Carlton Dramatic Society, where they wrote a bunch of plays, 
And one of the plays that he wrote actually was a drama about his early experience with a poltergeist. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I would love to see a copy of that. I looked, I could not find his drama about his poltergeist. Maybe but they'll produce our, um, our, our, our Broadway idea. I'm, I'm ready. With There's, we're in a quarantine. Nobody's doing anything. We can. Nobody's doing anything. <laughs> we're not. No, I'm kidding. But, but like you think like you have more time on the couch to really think about an idea like that. So. Yeah. You really do have more time to like stew in your own like psych, psycho brain like we do. If someone doesn't do it soon enough, I'm going to just figure it out myself. Um, so anyway, apparently one of his first dramas was about an early poltergeist experience. Um, and then in 1908, uh, he actually met and married his wife, Constance Mary Knight, who happened to be very wealthy. So that gave him the opportunity to settle down and nice. become a ghost hunter for a living. He just lived off of her and became a, a ghost Why hunter. Why not? Um, That's what Allison did. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're not wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. Allison's uh, like literally works every second of every day. <laughs> she literally works 12 hours a day. And then I'm every now and then I'll be like, why? Like, come on, just come on over here. We'll hang out. I'll buy you a pizza or something. So um, fun. He it sounds like a good life to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, hang on. Let me drink some more of my high C. Oh my <sighs> We're back. We're back. OK. Oh, God. So he, this is very much also like Houdini. Harry Price was originally a spiritualist and he went to a bunch of meetings and he visited a bunch of public seances and he always thought they were interesting, but never convincing, which is apparently Mm. a direct quote from him. Okay. And with his background in magic, he again thought that it could exist, but it was probably a bunch of frauds just taking people's money. Um, But he was much more open-minded to it than Houdini. So if you remember from the Houdini story, at some point, he just gave up. He was like, I've given you enough chances. It just isn't flying with me. Every single one of you is a fucking fraud. And I I can't think any other way. This guy, Harry Price, he's like, it's probably fraudulent, but I bet there's at least one or two really serious people out there that I just can't explain. So he was open-minded, but still as critical as possible. And um, being used to, or I guess being used often for uh, entertainment when it comes to spiritualist medium stuff, it was often used as entertainment. Plus it was, this was the time for new technology. And so those combined, he had an understanding of like, okay, so mediums are at an all time high because there's all this new technology out there. People are dying to have like public seances and things like that. So this is like the time for mediums to exist. Everyone's in love with the idea of spiritualism. Right. And so, and that was the moment where he was like, well, if this is the peak time for mediums to be out there, this is the peak time for me to really investigate this and find for myself where the real ones are. Okay. Um, <clears throat> sorry, it must be the lava burst. My, I don't think my throat can handle it. <laughs> So basically, um, there were also many critics. Um, there was, so there was a group called the society of psychical research. Right. And, uh, basically they were very intense critics and their purpose was to use science to debunk this stuff. And they used scientific methods. I'm using a quote, I think from Wikipedia. So who knows how reliable it is, but 
Uh, they used scientific methods to uncover fraudulent mediums, expose their methods, and replicate them in exhibits. So kind of what Houdini was doing. Sure. Where he was like, I'm going to prove you wrong, and then also demonstrate it on stage. Um, but in 1920, Price joined because he was critical of it. And so, you know, he could still stand to be with other critics and try to debunk it the best he could. Um, he also... Uh, helped republish a book called Revelations of a Spirit Medium, where he exposed a bunch of tricks by hack mediums, which is exactly what Houdini did. It's very weird that they had very it's, similar lives. Like very parallel, yeah. Um, but even though he was in the SPR, the Society of Psychical Research, um, he wasn't li liked by a lot of the members, um, specifically because he did endorse some mediums when their oh. whole goal was to debunk a bunch of them, but he was like, no, I think this one's probably genuine. And they were right. like, are you kidding me? Like, you're part of our group where we don't believe in this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he also wasn't upper class, and he was not formally educated, and a lot of people in the society were, so they oh. already just judged him to begin with. Well, that's shitty. Um, I think they were also intimidated by the fact that he didn't have formal training in scientifically debunking this stuff, and he was able to keep up with them. So I think... I see. They're a natural. They're, yeah, they're they're they were a little butt hurt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a direct quote, also. I think they were the the, from Wikipedia. If from anyone, Wikipedia. Yes. <laughs> uh, so they still respected his help in debunking when he would, um, especially given his background in like conjuring and sleight of hand. I mean, he was very useful when he chose to help them. Um, he also joined uh, something called the Ghost Club, which I don't know why I'm not a part of that. Hell yeah, and. Uh, He's, it was arguably the oldest paranormal research organization in the world. Um, I think it closed, though. I think I looked up how to join, and then it said it was closed. I think, like, we've had this conversation about so many organizations where you're like, I tried to join. I can't. I just need to, like, re, re, like bring them all back up, all, and I can just be the founder of all of them. What do you think? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. We'll do a big umbrella corporation. <laughs> And that's why we drink Presents, the Ghost Club. <laughs> um, he also joined, this is kind of me, actually. He also joined the Magic Club. Um, wow. And yeah, he, it is you. And he made uh, friends with other spiritualists, including Houdini. And apparently Price was on um, uh, Houdini's uh, little team for the Mina Crandon case, which is the, the, Witch, oh. on Lime, the Witch of Lime Street, which I wrote down is episode 156 in case is people... that with her undercarriage or whatever mm -hmm. yeah oh i still i will never forget that the one who like pulled ectoplasm out of something between her, her undercarriage <laughs> <laughs> ew and so uh anyway he was apparently part of that team so the whole story if you're going backwards and you're hearing this story before you get to the mina crandon case know that price was on that team um, let me see. Oh, here. yeah. I guess that's true. Some people haven't heard it yet. And then when you get to Houdini, this will all be a very similar story, I guess. Um, so in 1922, that was when the SPR gave uh, Harry Price his, like, first assignment. Like, okay, Ooh. you're going to debunk this person. And so uh, this was his, like, first effort to expose someone. And it was a spirit photographer named William Hope. Um, spirit photography is something I plan on eventually doing a story on. Yes. And, uh, but basically William Hope was one of the first people where he would take pictures of you and every single time without fail, there happened to be one of your dead relatives in the mm -hmm. picture. And, uh, so William Hope ends it up, 
that his whole job was to debunk him. And basically they found out that he had prepared plates and basically was doing double exposures. Got it. So that there was already a person on the frame. So then he took another picture and that, then all of a sudden it looked like there were two people. What if there. he used like the wrong part, like he put the wrong plate in it and they're like, I don't recognize that. And he's like, shit, that's like the next person's great grandma. <laughs> Like, I like feel he, like, he, it, like, like they got out of order. They mixed up. Yeah, I feel like it's so, I would fuck that up so bad. I would be even bad at like conning people. A thousand people. percent. Well, apparently the way that they found, that they figured it out was um, Harry Price using sleight of hand, he switched out the plates on William Hope and then they took the pictures and then the plates like all of a sudden didn't have, either they didn't have the, the dead relatives in them already or like, I think. Harry Price had drawn some specific like etchings on the back of it oh. and all of a sudden they weren't there. So it was just kind of easy at that point to see that there were like, there were loaded plates. Yeah. Um. So that was the first time that he was assigned to expose someone and then he did it pretty quickly. And um, this pissed off many staunch believers, including uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh who no. Is a big character in the Houdini episode. Um, this really is like the Avengers to me where like all of a sudden all these characters are just showing up and it's like, I didn't think I'd see you again. What's happening? I've You probably cried the whole time you were doing the research. I did. Like you did. If one <laughs> of them the started flying or had like a red and blue shield, I was going to lose my mind. So I mean, um, the undercarriage, thing, I feel like anything's possible <laughs> at this point with these people. They are all over the map. That one was, I'm going to claim that one to be Dr. Strange. That was the weird <laughs> one right there. Okay. So, uh, anyway, so this pissed off a lot of staunch believers that want someone that they really admired all of a sudden was exposed as a fraud, including Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So they were forever rivals, and uh, Sir Conan Doyle actually was quoted saying that one day Harry Price would meet the same fate as Houdini. Oh, geez. Okay. And if you remember anything from the Houdini episode, you know that him and Sir Conan Doyle used to be friends, and then they ended up hating each other. And it, I mean, this is just Broadway so meant to drama. Be. I know it's it's so gossipy. It writes I, itself. It does. <laughs> this could like be an episode of like one of my Christian stories, except the opposite. <laughs> um, so anyway, the uh, SPR, the Society of Psychical Research, also had problems with Harry Price. Like I said earlier, he wasn't a staunch skeptic until he met, um, in 1923, he met a woman named Stella Cranshaw. And this was one of his first personal cases where he was trying to uh, debunk. I think it started that he was trying to debunk the fact that she claimed to be a medium or that she might be a medium. And then he, it was like his first real case where he was like, I genuinely believe her. And so oh, if the SPR okay. didn't if the SPR didn't like him before, they really don't like him after he met Stella <laughs> yeah. Cranshaw. It's like she's different. <laughs> she's not like all yeah, the other I'm ones. Different. Yeah, I'm different. So Yep. Yep. That's it. That's our Broadway hit. A TMTM. No one's ever written that before. <laughs> Brand new content. <laughs> for your ears. It'll be on our and that's how we drink soundtrack at the end Yikes. of the year. <laughs> so uh 1923, he met Stella Cranshaw, literally met her on the train, and they struck up a conversation about the paranormal, as you and I did on a on a tractor. On so, a tractor? Oh, my God. Different. And she said, oh, well, speaking of the paranormal, I have these weird things happening around me. There's all these weird tappings on tables, and there's objects flying around, and, like, I don't know what's going on. 
And Harry Price said, you might be a medium. It sounds like there's a lot of activity following you around. Would you mind if I decided to test you? Mm. And um, if we did like a series of seances. And so she was like, okay, sure. And so uh, he brought her, he rented out a space in a place called the London Spiritualist Alliance. So just know them as like the LSA. Um, But he rented out a place. It was like they had a bunch of labs and things like that. And he rented out the space to conduct seances on Stella to see if she was a medium. And in the first seance, Stella had all of a sudden this like spirit come forward through her um, and basically started talking to the members at the table. And the spirit guide also began tapping on the tables and there were recorded drastic temperature drops. Um, And Harry Price actually brought a number of devices into the seance room. So this was kind of one of his, like another version of his original investigations is he was one of the first people to, I guess, kind of separately from Houdini, who was specifically looking for illusions. This right. guy was coming in trying to debunk things with equipment. Uh, um, it's, a very, it. it's a fine line, but they were both trying to debunk it in different ways. This guy just happened to bring his own equipment that he was building because it didn't exist yet. Sure. So it was his real Im- way of investigating. So um, so he brought in his own stuff. And at that seance, uh, items were thrown out of drawers. Um, there was, I guess, what she was best known for is that she uh, would make sparks on request. So she kind of got the name Electric Girl because all of a sudden she would just like things would just start sparking. Oh, no. Like, first of all, dangerous. Yes. Um, But he so one of the um, uh, pieces of equipment that he made and then brought was called a a telekinetoscope. And it was basically a telegraph with a red light on it that would turn on if the keys were pressed. But he put this big glass dome on top of it so nobody could touch it. So it could only happen telekinetically sure and apparently that went off a few times she levitated a table so high that the people that were sitting at the table in order to keep their hands on the table they had to stand up to keep their oh to keep their hands on the table um and then three of the legs on the table broke off and then the table folded on itself and collapsed what the hell and then she was like, maybe that means I'm a medium or something. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> what? Like, it's hard. So <laughs> <laughs> everybody can't just set tables on fire at will. <laughs> so she ended up doing 11 more seances and she started showing signs of being just wildly exhausted. So she had oh. like a racing pulse. She started shaking like she was having seizures. Um, oh, motorcycle. Uh and she also ended up getting fired from her job because she was taking so many days off to do these seances. Um, but so this ended up becoming like her little part-time gig. And it was exhausting her because he, Harry Price, genuinely could not figure out a way that this was happening. And so this was the first case where he was like, I think she's a legitimate medium. But wow. every time we do a seance, we're like making her overwork herself. And so we can only, she only, ha- only has so many in her. Right. So the Society of Psychical Research, the SPR, obviously didn't believe him. And they were like, okay, well, if you bring her to our headquarters and test her, then like we can do it in our own environment and like see what's actually being tested on her. We don't want to just take your word for it because right. you're already too open-minded for us. So um, 
She came in for two more sessions and she was less powerful because she was so overexhausted, assuming that she's a real medium. But it was enough to still impress the SPR and they couldn't figure out how she was doing it either. Okay, here we go. So I think they didn't like him because he made them challenge their their own beliefs. Mm-hmm. That's but deep. Listen, we could analyze that for a long time. And we will, but <laughs> hopefully off microphone to spare you all. So they did a few, uh, she did a few more settings later, like three years later with Harry Price. Apparently they had some, uh, they butted heads at one point and separated, but then they got back together to do a few more tests and Harry Price still stands that she was weaker than she used to be, but she was clearly powerful and he was convinced. But so this case is what got him in the public eye of like really investigating these things and being taken seriously, especially when the SPR was like, we don't. We don't know. We don't yeah. know how this happened. That's wild. So um, there were a few more. He was actually part of many famous cases. But um, starting in 1923, the famous cases that he started covering were um, these are just some of the stories, which at some point I can probably cover if there is enough information on them. But apparently these were super famous mediums at the time that he exposed. So there was Jan Guzik, Eva Carrare, Maria Silbert, George Valiantine, Fredericksburg, not Fredericksburg, that's my hometown, um, Frederick Munnings, and then the Battersea Poltergeist. Apparently, oh. all of these he was a part of and investigated and exposed them. And so he wow. was getting known really well for covering these cases. So in each of these, he ended up finding uh, either ectoplasm that was like chewed up paper or... Um, <laughs> Apparently, there was one person who said that there was a spirit talking through him in Italian, even though he didn't speak Italian. Um, And then I guess Harry went to the seance and heard him speaking Italian and found out it was a word for word match from an Italian dictionary book that he had just memorized. Um, people That's were actually also, kind of funny. People I know, like, like, it's amazing. How did he find the one book that this guy had memorized? But, um, and then oh, no, I thought the of- guy memorized it. Yeah, no, no, no. He the the guy who said he could speak Italian, that a spirit was speaking Italian through yeah. him, had memorized the book. Oh, yeah. got it, got it, got it. Got it. Um, and then a lot of people were moving things. They had learned how to use their feet and their toes to move things under the table. Man, people are weird. So those were like the first big cases he'd covered. So in 1925, he was actually given an honorary position at the American Society of Psychical Research, and. Uh, since the SBR and him were always butting heads, Price ended up joining the London Spiritualist Alliance, the LSA that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So he was still part of the SPR, which was more critical and not much of a believer. And he ended up joining the LSA, um, which is, by the way, where he did the tests on Stella. But it was also right. more open-minded. And so he was joining that because it just seemed to be a better fit for him. But yeah. out of spite, he stayed with the SPR just to piss them off. He's like, I'm Um, never leaving. (laughs) He was like, I'm never leaving. I believe in mediums. And also I'm joining a more open-minded group, but also I'm a member here. But also I'm going to keep paying my dues here, I guess. (laughs) So um, Harry Price suggested that there was this um, new, that there should be this new organization um, where they objectively investigated all sorts of supernatural stuff. And because even though there were groups that were either believers or non-believers, since he was the first one creating this equipment and wanting to do really in-depth scientific research to investigate it and not actually have a hypothesis going in, just straight up believe like it could be one or the other. Right. He said that there should be an investigation where you 
just go in, investigate and see what you come up with. And so the LSA approved that. And they were like, you're right, we should be open minded and try to figure out how we can determine these things. So they um, created the LSA created the National Laboratory of Psychical Research, and they let Harry Price be the director. And uh, they built the first lab in Britain ever for psychical research. And a thousand members had joined within like two years. Oh, so shit. All of a sudden, a lot of people wanted to volunteer and really intensely investigate this stuff and take it seriously with scientific methods. So um, just like the SPR, Harry Price's new group was, quote, aimed to scientifically test and evaluate phenomena, but with a more open mind like the LSA. So okay. um, kind of a, a Venn diagram middle of the two of yeah. them. And apparently there was no expense spared because now there were a thousand people probably donating to this thing. These are just some of the things that they put into the very first investigative lab. Okay. So this is a quote. This is, uh, says that the lab had, or the NLPR or whatever, uh, they had world-class laboratories, lecture theaters, workshops, dark rooms for photography, seance rooms with seven cameras all in different directions. Oh, shit. One of which was capable of stereoscopic photography, um, UV filter lighting, flashlights, daylights, spotlights, thermographic recording devices, a dictaphone, and a oh. whole room with wired microphones that fed their output into an entirely separate room for recording. And just to remind you, like, this was at a time, this was, like, early 1920s where, like, most oh my places God. didn't have electricity. <laughs> so, yeah. like, all of a sudden they have this, like, massive, this like... This is more elaborate than anything we've ever had for the podcast. So, like... That's You're right. A lot. <laughs> I didn't even know what half of those words were. No. <laughs> um, but basically whatever they could come up with. And then on top of that, whatever he was creating daily out of his own mind to, to wow. help investigate. So, it's like Inspector um, Gadget, but ghosty. Like the paranormal ver Like it's like if Zach Bagans and Inspector Gadget had a baby. Well, that's a, a terrible image. Thank you. Zach Gadget. Zach Gadget. Inspector Bagans. No. <laughs> Inspector Bagans. <laughs> so um, we should probably not put his name. I was like, that'd be a fun title. And then I was like, we should probably shouldn't put his name in the title because we're really trying to make sure we hold off on like getting sued as long as possible. Please don't sue us, Inspector Bagans. So that's our second hit on our Christmas album coming out December. Inspector Bagans. <laughs> I miss that song. So once again, we're stealing content from other people. Perfect. Please don't sue us. So um, they later renamed this lab the London University Council for Psychical Investigation. And this was the first time. So it wasn't necessarily part of London University, but they put it in. I think they were still using some of their resources or something like that. So they let the name be attached to it. But this was the first time that paranormal research was actually being linked to like mainstream science. Okay. So it was a legitimate a location or a legitimate place that was vouching for the fact that this was a legitimate psychical research lab. Damn. So it was the first time it was really being taken seriously by someone. Right. Um, so by 1926, there were two, there was a medium and there was a poltergeist case uh, that uh, Harry Price believed were genuine. Um, one of them, the poltergeist case was of a woman named Ellen, Ellen, Eleonora Zugan. That's beautiful. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? Rolls the off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the face 
that I just made on like a teacher doing roll call. Like, <laughs> yeah, Professor M came out to play hard that time. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a tough one. Wow. So apparently, Eleonora, um, like Eleanor with an A, Eleanor, like E L E O, Nora, Eleonora. Sure. Okay. Ellie. We're going to call her Ellie. Cute. So uh, in 1926, he met Ellie, who was experiencing violent poltergeist activities, such as flying objects, being slapped, bitten, and pinched. Oh, God. And so now that Harry Price, remember, now has this, like, massive lab at his hands, and, like, Uh he's the director, he gets to bring any case he wants in, and he can just study them at his leisure. So he was like, okay, you sound like a pretty good candidate. Let's bring you in for testing. Um, And she had... Apparently, he wrote in his records that she showed signs of telekinesis and stigmata that was appearing on her body in ways she could not control herself. Oh, God. Okay. And what's weird about her, though, is that all of her symptoms of any possession um, just ended the second she hit puberty. And he, like, he was like, well, I guess you're done here. Like, whoa. You're not possessed anymore and nothing happened. So that's weird. That's a weird one. And then in 1927, there was, uh, well, there was this 18th century uh, prophet named Joanna Southcott. And apparently Joanna, when she died, left this wooden box with one of her friends with the instructions of like, this is a quote, this should not be opened except in a national crisis and in the presence of 24 bishops. Open it. Somebody open it, please. We're currently in a crisis. Literally. Open it. So apparently in 1927, that box showed up at the lab that he was running. Um, And he was like, he did everything he could. He had mediums checking it out. He x-rayed it. He did whatever tests he could. But he couldn't figure anything out. And so he ended up just opening it in front of like (laughs) one bishop. And like, he's like, I just found one instead of 24. And it's also not a national crisis. And, uh, but when he opened it up, there was just trinkets in there, like a lottery ticket. And there was like a pistol. That's what he thinks. He probably like unleashed something. A pistol. Hold on. Like a, like a Pandora's box of sorts, but for the coronavirus. Oh, so, so there ended up being nothing in that box. Um, not that he deemed worthy, but so that was another thing that he ended up debunking. Um, this was the only lab out there where like, if you brought a case in, you didn't know what his results were going to be because sometimes he would debunk things and other things he really thought it was true. So one of the big ones was in 1929 and it was this guy named Rudy Schneider, um, who claimed he could levitate items. And so Harry Price wired everyone's, this was during a seance. He took wire and wired down everyone's hands and feet, um, around the table and, he had this display board that he had created where there was a light that would signal if anyone moved and it would like break the circuit. So it was pretty much like, if you move, we will know. So you can't try to do something quickly. Sure. So despite all these controls, Rudy was still able to create ectoplasm. I don't know if it was from his undercarriage. It was probably, it's always from, that's, that's one thing I've learned from this podcast. (laughs) If you've got a crotch, I'm not even gonna... you can create ectoplasm, apparently. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it. I'm glad you did. <laughs> well, apparently he was also still able to make the table levitate and there were wrappings on the table. Um, like knockings. I was picturing knockings. like candy wrappers. Sorry. Okay. There was just like a bunch <laughs> of like tray songs everywhere. Just <laughs> It's just like high C wrappers all over the place from M <laughs> just come storming through. Storming through. That's what they call me. 
So uh, <laughs> one of there was an SBR investigator again, just to remind you guys that a, more of a critical debunker. Right. He even showed up to this seance and he said that Rudy was quote absolutely genuine. Like there was. Uh- it was wow. weird. Like this guy was, he was wired down. If he moved at all, there was going to be uh, like a warning or an alert and nothing. Ooh. And okay. All this That's kind of cool. So after this case, Harry uh, Price, he comes back later, Rudy does. But after this case, Harry Price feels like he kind of um, proved himself to the SBR. Like, look, I made my own lab. I've debunked enough people. Even some of your people are saying that this is genuine. Like, I'm going to move away from just mediumship and I'm going to branch into all realms of paranormal. And okay. this is where the SPR really doesn't approve. They're like, the only thing we've ever paid attention to are fraudulent mediums. Like, if you're branching out, then you're like kind of going against what we're trying to focus on here. Um, but so that was when they really split from each other. Okay. And after that, basically, if you were a member of the SPR, it was just known that you probably hated him. Uh, and so <laughs> he was just on a, on a list, <laughs> on a even though list. he's still a member, they still have to like include him in the Christmas card, <laughs> but they would just like put like a little demon face on his picture <laughs> in, the demon, draw, yeah. in the card. So in 1932, which was three years later, Rudy does come back for additional testing, but this time, um, price isn't using the same equipment he used last time. This time he's using their version in the 1930s of an infrared camera that had, uh, I don't know that existed by the way. Mm-mm. Um, and it has a motion sensor. So basically if there's any movement, the camera's going to snap a picture, but he was trying to do a more of a controlled study and not announce what equipment he was using. So Rudy didn't know what was available. Uh So, uh, they start this seance and Harry finds out that, uh, oh, let me read this note. I it's a lot of words. Hang on. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Danger zone for our podcast. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> me reading. <laughs> so basically during this seance, he finds out because he now has this infrared camera that um, if there was any movement at all, you know, there'd be a picture taken and he's not using the stuff that the equipment that had people wired down last time. Right. So during the seance, he actually found out that when the room was pitch black, he found out because his camera sensed movement and took a picture and he looked back at the picture later and saw that Rudy was actually moving things when no one was looking. So I guess it definitely made him seem more fraudulent that now that he wasn't tied down, he was able to do more things during the seance. Right. Because he he thought nobody was looking. But so we Um, didn't figure out like how he did it the first time. We don't know how he did it the first time, but we know that at least during this seance, he was clearly doing things that were incriminating himself. Bummer. And I wonder so, if, like, the first time he, like, knew what they were going to do, you know, yeah, wire him he, down, and, like, prepared it somehow. You would imagine, because if you are if you know your hands are going to be tied down or your feet are going to be tied down, maybe you could have, in advance, like, tied some, like, invisible fishing line to yourself and moved things. Or, yeah. Like, so yeah. that way, even if you're tied down, you can still move your hands a little oh, bit. Oh, that's true. You know? Yeah, or maybe, like, somebody was in on it with them or something. Mm. I don't know. I feel like these no, people always have, like, others in cahoots with a them. A plant. Yeah, so many cahoots. Love a good cahoot. Love a good cahoot. <laughs> That's what this goddamn podcast says. It's us in cahoots. It's cahoots all the time. It's cahoots all the way to the top. <laughs> so uh, also I'm pretty sure Rudy, like just like how I didn't know an infrared camera existed in the 1930s, Rudy probably didn't think that technology That's existed. True. He's like, there's no way they can see me in the dark. Right. So yeah. anyway, they found out that at least in that seance, he Bummer. was a fraud. And so before he actually ended up exposing Rudy, 
Um, which by the way was, uh, he thought would be a big step because he was owning up to the fact that he was wrong initially because yeah. Oh, in the, yeah, the true. first test he said in the first test, he said like, Oh, Rudy is absolutely genuine. And if he came forward with these notes, then he thought he was at least owning up and making himself look more legitimate. But a lot of people, I guess we're prepared to see this as like, oh, so we just should never believe anything you say because every genuine case you found might actually just be something right. like he might have just been too slick for you. And so um, bef- that ended up happening. But before he released the the news that this guy was a fraud, he found out that the SPR, who now hates him, he found out that they were also going to do their own individual tests on Rudy and uh, he knew that they didn't have infrared cameras. And so he knew that they were going to come out saying again that this guy is is a, the real deal. And so knowing that they hated each other, he waited for them to come out with their results and say that this guy is great so that he could then put out his results and say, actually, he's a fraud and the SPR doesn't know how to investigate properly. I love it. Just to piss them off. I'm so so petty. I love it. I love it. It's the pettiest. And so the SPR obviously is furious and they accuse Price of like faking this photo. Like who, who even knows what infrared is? Like this guy's like totally faking this. Damn. But they had uh, other experts who are members of the SPR, but they're like the experts in, I, I don't know, debunking photography. And they had to admit, they were like, no, this picture is genuine. Like, his evidence is real and we look oh, like assholes. snap. So if it wasn't already done, now it's kaput. Like, yep. the, they hate each other. So The cahoots are kaput, <laughs> as we say in the German language. <laughs> is that what they say? I, I hope to speak German one day then. Yes. Uh, uh, I have a dictionary you can memorize and fool kahoot- all your friends. I only know the one sentence and that's all I need. I think the, <laughs> yeah, you're the right. Germans get will you. get it. I'll get you so, Here's a good, this is one you're really going to enjoy. So in 1931, here's another massive case that he ended up being a part of, which was, again was a medium. He was trying to branch out, but he was still known for all his medium work. So he still right. kept having to debunk this stuff. Excuse me. So in 1931, one of the most famous cases he ever covered was the medium Helen Duncan claiming she could regurgitate ectoplasm. Ew. So, um, the lab that he was in charge of, they decided that they were going to literally pay her to be examined under scientific conditions because they had just never heard of anyone throwing it up before. Yeah. And uh, basically, Helen, she was so uh, insistent that she not be x-rayed. She was like, I don't want to be x-rayed. I don't want you to do that. Um, And they ended up trying to do it anyway. She freaked out. And so she ended up like booking it, like sprinting out of the lab. Oh, my God. Her husband had to chase her down the street. She was like, it was totally like this dramatic news everyone could see her running down the street and she had like she was clearly carrying something and so basically harry price ended up finding out that like even though she destroyed the control test that they had she probably handed off whatever fake ectoplasm they were going to find she handed it off to her husband when he chased her down right and he ended up learning later that the ectoplasm first of all he was right that's exactly what happened and the ectoplasm that she had planned on regurgitating was a combination of cheesecloth oh she paper paper soaked in egg white oh uh rubber gloves no don't eat that and then faces that she had clipped out of magazines as the spirits (laughs) 
Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is like next level, next level. So she she oh literally God. thought that like she would throw up like eggs and gloves and she cheesecloth like, and, and like then a vision like, board and you like <laughs> ate a vision board and like puked it onto everyone. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe that's. <laughs> I guess maybe that's one way to like, you know, uh, it was literally a vision board. Your dreams. She's like, and then I'm going to throw up uh, Zac Efron. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, gross. Um. So anyway, he ended up finding out, like, can you imagine, by the way, being like, like taking yourself seriously as an investigator and you find all these like little clippings from like J14 or something. And like, and like, I can't imagine swallowing rubber gloves. That's like so heinous to me. I don't know. I, I wonder how small they had to have been for her to be prepared to swallow that. Because I feel like I know people out there are like more nauseous than I am about this kind of stuff. But like, I feel like my gag reflex would know I was eating something I couldn't. Yeah. I shouldn't put down. I can barely swallow a pill. Like, <sighs> I, I can't fathom that. Also, cheesecloth is like literal cloth, right? Like it's meant to like drain out solids. It's like gauze sort of. Yeah. Anyway, so she apparently was swallowing all that and it was ectoplasm. Is this like the first literal vomitus we've had? Because this is quite I'm feeling real, real rough right now. It's pretty gnarly, I gotta say. So um, anyway, she was later even arrested for fraud because they were like, you probably also need help. (laughs) And so... It's a lot happening here. And he ended up writing a piece about this. I think you can still find online called The Cheesecloth Worshippers. Ew. Okay. <laughs> and uh, with pictures that he took from the legitimate experiment. So, like, it was kind of like like a scientific journal. Like, it was like kind of his first academic journal. Wow. Um, and so, basically, she ended up admitting later, or she didn't admit, but her former maid confessed to having helped her, and her <laughs> husband said that he was also in on it in case there was ever, like, something he needed to help cover during the the investigation. Wow. Um, That's nuts. In 1932, uh, Harry Price traveled to Mount Brocken in Germany. No? Okay. I don't... There's a lot of mounts in Germany, i got to say. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so he traveled to Mount Brocken, and apparently... So this was him trying to branch out into other phenomena. But apparently there was some black magic that he wanted to test to see if it was legitimate. And uh, it was called the Bloxburg Tryst. And apparently this is a ritual where you transform a goat into a, quote, youth of surpassing beauty called upon by a maiden. Oh, so, come on. Leave these animals alone. So the uh, come on that you just said is kind of how everyone took this. <laughs> okay, good. They were like, come on. Like, we were taking you so seriously. Like, you just got your name up there. You're like, pushing you're, the envelope here, You're yeah. basically writing academic journals. And now, like, you want us to believe that you're going to turn a fucking goat <laughs> into a, a man. And also, so apparently this was um, a famous actress, um, Ura Bon. Apparently she was also part of the experiment. Like she came, she was the maiden that helped with the, with the spell or the incantation. Wait, how do you spell her name? U-R-A. Oh, never mind. B-O-H-N. Never mind. I don't know. I I also have written AKA Gloria Gordon. Maybe that was her American name. Maybe that was her stage name or something. stage name. Yeah. I don't know. I, I should know, but these notes are like two weeks old now. So I'm not really sure who. (laughs) Our brains don't work that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so apparently she was like a famous actress at the time and she was also part of this ritual with him. So I think maybe it was supposed to be like a, 
like a PR thing of like, look, now I have celebrities helping me with my experiments. Sure. And so a few things happened. First of all, people didn't take him seriously. He ended up later mentioning the like, I didn't expect it to work, but I'm still like open-minded to anything. And I wanted everyone to know that like, I'm prepared to debunk things or like, even if I'm not taking something, even if I don't believe it for myself, I'm still willing to investigate it for you. So right. he, he tried to spin it and he ended up saying that he only did it quote to prove the fallacy of transcendental magic. So he was like, I'm kind of on the same page as you guys, but I'm still doing this if it's something that is requested of me. Got it. Okay. Um, but the other thing that came out of this is like how I just said, he was now having almost celebrities join him on these investigations. So he was known. And one of the reasons the SPR didn't like him from the beginning is he was kind of an attention seeker. Mm. Um, he loved attracting media with his experiments. Um, and a lot of people saw that as a bad thing of like, oh, he just wants the attention. But he saw it as like a business campaign where he was like, nobody takes the paranormal yeah, and scientific point. methods seriously. But if I do something interesting enough during my experiments, then I'm at least spreading awareness to the masses that right. this is a real legitimate thing people should be investigating. I can so, get that. Yeah, I understand it too. But it definitely the people who didn't like him, it was very easy to pick right, up this and be look. like – yeah, it's like he's just doing it for attention, but he saw it as like, no, I'm making sure people know that this stuff exists. Right. So he did, for example, some of the things that he did more for, quote, attention was he did fire walking experiments to see if people could really do that or if it was just mind over matter. Um, but during this experiment, so obviously he had to set up a fire walk for himself. And instead of using charcoal, excuse me, instead of using charcoal for his fire walk, he built the... Um, the embers out of 50 copies of the New York times. Oh. And so he did that. And like, he got permission from the times first and they loved it. They were like, yeah, like everything's going to know that like it was our paper he used oh for his God. experiments. <laughs> so he ended up like starting to like literally like publicize and market using like other brands. Like he was doing brand integration in his paranormal experiments. Wow. He really was ahead of his time. He was. So he was He's like, like an influencer, like a, a vintage influencer. He knew if he, exactly he's like a hipster for sure. Oh, yeah. Like he if he had an Instagram back in the day, we would all been in trouble. Oh yeah, we'd all be screwed. But so like unless it, we got him on board with this whole thing, then maybe we'd be. Can you imagine if we could have integrated? And that's why we drink into his experiments. We I would, mean, it's not... who would be in trouble? Me or the ghosts? I don't know. <laughs> As you sip your juice box, <laughs> I think we all know the answer to that. But so I agree with you. Like the first reaction you had i was like ew like isn't that gonna make like the new york times hate him because he's burning their yeah papers? it seems like you're making a statement or something but he knew that if i burn the most important paper they're gonna write about this and so it's, sure, gonna, that's spread, it's gonna cultivate the most attention so he ended up after that doing more kind of brand integration stuff he started doing newspaper interviews he did radio broadcasts he started doing radio broadcasts from haunted places which made him the first real investigator because he was legitimizing this research on wow. radio. Cool. So in 1936, he ended up forming the National Film Library or the British Film Institute. And he ended up broadcasting live from uh, haunted houses on BBC. And this makes him the first celebrity ghost hunter. And he did further live broadcasts in the future in other haunted homes. But basically what I'm trying to tell you is he's the first Zach Bagans. Da-da-da-da-da. Inspector Bagans. <laughs> <laughs> but so 
Basically, I did this whole story just to say that there was a Zach Bagans before Zach That's, I mean, he probably, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, we would be screwed because he would have blocked me too on Twitter. <laughs> and then we'd all be in big trouble. There's no chance that you we would have had made two it. people you were drunkenly tweeting at. <laughs> oh, no. So How he, sad. he ended up, now that he had this fame, he was like literally a ghost hunter and he was known for this and he was doing interviews and marketing campaigns. So he was like, Literally, Zach Bagans level. That's so cool. And he uh, he ended up reestablishing the Ghost Club after it closed the first time. But he reestablished it to modernize it. So he made it more skeptical so that people had to question things instead of just be diehard believers or skeptics. Um, and he also allowed women into the Ghost Club. Oh. And he started, very Houdini of him, but he started proposing bills that would have him regulating mediums and, like, their fraudulent work if they're being paid. So um, he also got uh, the University of London to set up the Council for Psychical Research, um, which was, I already mentioned that er earlier. Sorry. That was a similar note from earlier. But it was still a major contribution. And he wrote um, telepathy and psychic tests. This was another way he was... um, marketing himself he started writing telepathy and psychic tests for weekly periodicals so people could be like "Ooh, am i a psychic and like that's me always taking literally like content branding himself wow and so he also ended up publishing three books by the 1940s um which i'm going to get into this in a second because this is kind of like the biggest thing he's known for um it's tricky so what i was going to say is that in the 1940s on top of all that other stuff that he did, he uh, published three books on the Borley Rectory, which that was a story I covered forever ago. Yes, it was I episode sixty-four. So now that I've done this story, I actually really, really, really I know that we always say we're gonna eventually do like revival episodes where we re-discuss yeah. cases now that our like research has gotten better. But this made me want to do it all over again because, like, there's so much shit about him in the Borley Rectory that I guarantee you I did not mention back yeah. in episode 64. Oh, we should do a revival. But so uh, if we ever do do those, Borley Rectory is going to be one of the first episodes I cover. So Sweet. in 1948, he ended up dying of a massive heart attack. Oh, but no. he ended up uh, – the University of London ended up inheriting his books. And he had a – I told you back when he was like eight, he started collecting books about witchcraft and stuff like that. So yeah. by 1948, he had a collection of over 13,000 books. Holy oh. shit. And they were on, quote, witchcraft, the occult, prophecies, abnormal phenomena, all ranging from present day to 1472. The, I mean, the, I would give up my life savings to to just own that library, truly. I mean, and also it had his own personal archives from all of his investigations. So it had his, quote, correspondence, publication drafts, libel case papers, investigation reports, press cuttings, and and photographs from his experiments. And all the cutout heads for his ectoplasm. (laughs) And some things with a little vomit on them because they were spirits. (laughs) But so anyway, his book collection is now at uh, Senate House Library, which is um, part of the University of London. And it's called the Harry Price library of magical literature which is some Hogwarts shit. so cool it really is so uh i do want to mention real quick in 1929 like i said he's best known hands down for the borley rectory which is according to him the most haunted house in england 
And um, I'm not going to take up too much time, but there are some things I want to say about this. So the Borley Rectory investigation um, became, I guess he considers it the most haunted house in England. And it's also like where he became officially like stamped and written down in paranormal history. Like he's known if there was a paranormal history class, he would be mentioned. Got it. Because uh, the Borley Rectory investigation that he did became the, quote, first documented attempt to track down ghosts in one single location. So the first ghost hunt ever really happened in the Borley Rectory. That's amazing. it It was also massive because he had spent so many years detailing uh, his own investigations and his own experiments and trying to figure out any way to do scientific method, uh, whether it was mediums or whatever the phenomena was. But this was the first detailed notes of research methods, interviews, and findings, including uh, which all included and made up the first blueprint for investigators in the future and set the standard for modern paranormal research. Whoa. So he, and what's weird about it is it was so detailed because it was a 24 seven investigation. So he rented the rectory for a year and he lived there with a rotating group of like 40 other official observers. Right. Um, for nonstop observation. So he literally recruited them through the times. Um, and so this is the original personal ad that he put in. This was May 25th, 1937. Um, so he wrote, Haunted house, responsible persons of leisure and intelligence, intrepid, critical, and unbiased are invited to join Rota of Observers in a year's night and day investigation of alleged haunted house in home commu- in home counties. Printed instructions supplied, scientific training, or ability to operate simple instruments on advantage, uh, in advantage, sorry, uh, house situated in lonely hamlet, so own car is essential. And then after that, he... Uh, he put that out in the times and he got like hundreds of people. (laughs) I bet. And so he ended up breaking it down to like 40 people. And he also, uh, for this investigation, since he was bringing in 40 strangers that he needed to rely on for the next 365 days nonstop, he wrote the first ever handbook on conducting paranormal investigations, which became known officially in the paranormal community as the blue book. And he gave one to each observer and he taught them how to investigate and what equipment to use. And he gave all the researchers freedom to investigate however they wanted. So some of them would journal, some of them would do seances, but basically, uh, he, of the 40 people, he created a group of quote, all different professions, outlooks, and interests. Some came alone and others came in groups as skeptics, believers, and or debunkers. And then, um, So basically he had people from all walks of life studying however they felt most comfortable. So that way he didn't have to do any like hard cutting experiments. It was like all these people were investigating in their own ways and they still couldn't figure out what the fuck was going on. Jesus. Wow. So one of the pros to this was that he actually didn't. So this is a quote. Price did not see. Heard a bunch of cars. Uh, Price, this is a quote, Price did not see a vast majority of the findings. It was independent observers who often had no idea what others were experiencing. So it was a whole other way of investigating where it was like, I don't even have to be there. So if you think that I'm setting something up or I'm creating some sort of trap where there's definitely going to be spirits, we had 40 different people from, you know, of all characteristics and all beliefs, they all found shit and we cannot explain this. And so, um, again, after he died in 1948 and then after he died, 
three different people from the SPR ended up publishing their own reports about the Borley Rectory to make him look bad. And it got, Aww. it became called the Borley Report. And they basically said that Price ended up faking a bunch of the phenomena. Um, but they said that his claims were faked. The, this is a quote from the Borley Report, that Price's claims were, quote, either faked or due to natural causes such as rats and strange acoustics and the odd shape of the house. Um, but something, so... Anyway, they tried to say that, you know, he faked it, but a lot of people still back him and say, like, no, no, like, this was, like, like unprecedented. This was, like, the investigation that made paranormal research a legitimate thing. And um, one thing he would love for someone who loved attention, ITV actually made a movie about him called Harry Price Ghost Hunter, which helped spread awareness. Heck yeah. And one of my favorite things about him is that he was the first to ever use um, – well, so he was the first to use experimental measures to test paranormal things in labs, but he was also the first, um, he was the first person to have his own ghost kit. So since he was the original investigator, I'm going to tell you the things that he had in, in the very first wow. never seen before ghost kit. So, um, he, he built it specifically for the Borley Rectory. These were all original items of his. And then he made sure that when he, uh, when he had other people come on, he made sure that they also had these items. So in the very first original ghost kit, a sketch pad, pencils to plot a location, steel tape, plaster, string, tools to seal doors and windows, miscellaneous electric apparatuses and bells to set up sound for <laughs> breached areas. Uh, and this is all obviously a quote. Um, Atoms and co-reflex cameras that had infrared film, Cine camera Afka Novapan film. Yikes. Sure, yeah. Obviously. Trigger weights and trigger thermographs to show any change in temperature or movement. A bottle of mercury to use in a bowl to show any temperature changes or tremors in the room. Flashlights and matches for low lights or as tr trigger objects. Chalk to mark the areas of activity, brushes and powdered graphite for developing potential fingerprints, and a remote control motion picture camera with portable telephones for contact between investigators. So basically walkie-talkies. Wow. So uh, he was one of the biggest influencers in paranormal investigation and modern ghost hunting. And uh, he also created the Ghost Kit, the very first uh, how-to investigative book. And uh, because of him, he brought ghost research to the general public. And one thing I will say to final to end this all is that besides the Borley Rectory, two of the other best known cases of his were um, Jeff the Talking Mongoose <laughs> and the Seance of Rosalie, both which I will be talking about next week. <gasps> okay. Oh my God, a mongoose! I can't wait. And I'm so sorry that was so long, but again, it was just like so good and so juicy. So I just I feel bad because I keep shifting, but I'm like in the like. I know exactly where you are because I used to sit there. <laughs> yeah, the hot zone. Of course, take I have your sweatshirt off. I am wearing literally nothing underneath the sweatshirt. Nobody. Do you want to take that. a break? I need to be paid a lot more for that kind of content. Um, Step aside. No, I'm fine. I'm really fine. Sure? I'm just complaining, you know, like I like Listen, to. there's nothing I love more than a good complaint, so. Yeah, I'm full of them. <laughs> um, no, I'll just uh, tell you my story, I guess. I'm excited about this one. This is like a juicy episode. Um, I, this has been, so this has been requested. It was in the media recently again, and it, like it came up again. I don't know 
why or like what prompted it, but it kind of recirculated on Twitter and was like trending again. So people started tagging me in it. Um, And I actually knew about it uh, ahead of time because this takes place in D.C. and I was living in D.C. when this happened. Um, And then I realized after I'd already done the notes, I saw an email uh, from Kirsten to my ex-teen files email saying like, you should cover this. And I was like, well, Kirsten, it's your lucky day because I am doing that. This is the Lululemon murder. Huh. I've never heard of this. You haven't? Oh, it was good. in D.C.? Oh, yeah. I'm sure ev- I know immediately now why everyone wanted you to cover it if it's got the word lemon in it. Oh, well, I didn't actually put that together <laughs> until you just said it. So it was all you said lemon and I just blacked out. Nobody so. actually mentioned lemon in any of the tweets or anything. I don't think I think people just associate the brand so much that nobody it, it didn't occur to anyone. I see. I just heard, I heard Lemon's annoying little voice in my head going, I'm involved. (laughs) Finally, some more attention. (laughs) Um, No, this is uh, the Lululemon murder. Um, And this took place in uh, 2016, I believe. Um, Oh, sorry, 2011, 2011. Okay. Obviously, I was living here in 2016. Uh, (laughs) This took place in 2011. Were you in DC at this point? No, No, I was in college. I was in Virginia, but I was not near DC. Oh, okay. Um, okay, cool. So I will tell you about this. I remember this happening, which is like extra creepy. So I will tell you about the people involved first. So the first, um, person involved, uh, and there's two of them is Jaina Murray. And she was born November 22nd, 1980 in Kansas to a close knit military family. And they moved to Texas, uh, where Jaina grew up and excelled in high school track and field, as well as dance. She broke local records for the discus throw. Hmm. So super athletic. Uh, She was described by her friends and family as fun and adventurous. She uh, studied in Madrid, Spain for two years for college, did a semester at sea. Okay. You know, very cosmopolitan, I guess you would say. A globetrotter. (laughs) A globetrotter. That's a better word. It's one of my favorite Um, words. I love that word. She graduated uh, from Georgetown, uh, sorry, George Washington University in D.C. um, with a bachelor's in international marketing. And that's where my brother went to school. He was there in 2011, actually. It's a fun fact. Fun fact. Um, She also earned a master of fine arts in public and media relations. So she had a master's. She was a globetrotter. She was a discus champ, I guess. Uh, so she was all over the place, but um, really successful. And her MBA thesis was on the retail structure of Lululemon. And if you oh. guys don't know what Lululemon is, it is a very, uh, it's like an upscale athleisure brand, basically. Athleisure, another word I love more than anything. Such a good word. Um, Such a good word. That I've probably never said out loud until this very moment. Uh, <laughs> and I remember like when Lululemon was kind of up like coming up and coming and like this huge deal and people I knew called it Lululemon and I was like I don't think that's how you say it <laughs> maybe that's and what they really tried for in the beginning and then they heard everyone saying Lululemon, they might have and then the company was like you're right you're right for a it's while Lululemon. I didn't know which one it was I was like that sounds douchey but this is like an upscale athleisure brand so you never know um but yeah so Lululemon is at least how I've always known it to be sure um and so that is – so she did a, her thesis on the retail structure of Lululemon, which was really popular at the time and still is, I guess. Um, and she actually applied for and was hired by Lululemon as a sales team leader um, once she was done with school. Oh, okay. So she was, like, super friendly. She became friends with all her coworkers. Um, a lot of them called her my best friend uh, in the documentaries I watched, which, like, 
Wow. Some drama. Must be nice. They're all, they're all, she's all their best friends. I know. Um, on her 30th birthday, she like went bungee jumping with all her friends. Like she was just, you know, a globetrotter, as you said. A globetrotter. And uh, so she was two months away from graduating from her master's um, in 2011. And she, her boyfriend had just moved to Seattle and her plan was to move to Seattle to continue working for Lululemon, but like at their corporate offices. Mm. Um, And so that was the big plan. Now that is where we leave off with Jaina. And now there's one more person I want to tell you about who's Brittany Norwood. And Brittany was born in 1982 in Washington State. Uh, she was also very athletic. She was an extremely talented soccer player. Um, she was on the all-star and state teams. She got a, schol- or a yeah, soccer scholarship to Stony Brook University in Long Island um, for college. And she was named most valuable defensive player. She was like on the Adidas regional team. Like she's just very successful, very athletic. And her coach actually at the time said, Brittany hates losing more than she likes winning. Okay. So that's kind of her, like, uh, that's a general overview of her personality, if you will. Gotcha. But they both, like, more or less seem very successful in their paths so far. Yeah, yeah. Like, going to college uh, on, um, very successful in a very, like, traditional American way of, like, I'm an athlete getting a scholarship. The dream, yeah. Right, like the American dream, exactly. Um, And so she she was, like, really successful uh, for all intents and purposes, However, there's a big but, and it's not yours. I was going to say. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I loved it, though. I, I was like, who should I say? And then I was like, it's funny if I say M's. Uh, <laughs> so the big but in the room is actually that she had built up a reputation as a kleptomaniac or a thief Ooh. among her teammates and friends. And this is Brittany. Yes. Okay. Correct. Wow. I know. So there is like a catch in this American dream. Um, So her friends, roommates, and teammates all had accused her of being a kleptomaniac. Um, And oops, I forgot this was double-sided. I was like, what the hell? Okay. Magic. I like got to like the most dramatic part really quickly. I was like, oh. (laughs) And then everyone was dead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is not, (laughs) do we need to be a little uh, smoother transition? Uh Uh-huh. So she was never actually arrested for stealing anything, but she was caught and accused so many times that she actually lost her scholarship in 2003. And um, kind of that kind of set her on like a period of being like lost and directionless. Like she didn't have, you know, her scholarship anymore, which was like her whole life was soccer. Sure. And um, so in 2008, fast forward a few years Brittany and a former roommate were sued by a landlord in D.C. for unpaid rent. And then in mm. 2009, um, a hairstylist alleged that Brittany stole her weaves by claiming that someone in the shop had robbed her while she got her hair done. Okay. So uh, just like continuing this kind of weird like petty crime habit. Yeah, it seems like it's more of a pattern now than a habit. Yes, pattern. Like that's a good word. It sounds like it's a pretty like like settled behavior at this point. Yeah, like it's it's pretty ingrained, I would say. Um, so by 2010, like things seemed to be a little bit better. She had a good job um, at a hotel near the White House, and she was really quickly promoted, raised in the ranks there. Um, but her goal was to become a personal trainer. She was still like really athletic, and her goal was she wanted to be a personal trainer uh, with VIP clients in DC. So like you know the top political, et cetera, influences. Yeah. And she wanted to be their uh, personal trainer. So that's sure. kind of what she was like making the connections for. 
And um, during this time in 2011, she got another job as a sales assistant at Lululemon. I see. There's the connection. And the Lululemon was in Georgetown. And I have, um, I remember my ex-boyfriend went to Georgetown and I used to pass that Lululemon all the time. Oh, so you know the one. So there's actually two locations in this story, which at first I was like, holy shit, but there's another one in Bethesda, which is Ah. close by. But like, um, but this specific one, at least I remember walking by and like, oh, I was so poor. And I I was like, I'm not even allowed in there. Like, I'm not even going to cross the threshold. So I passed it many times feeling um, defeated. Sure. One time I passed John Kerry and his wife uh, on that street, too. I think I remember you telling me that before. And I even, didn't even know it. My ex-boyfriend was like, do you know who that was? And I was like, no, I'm just looking at the Lululemon leggings. And he was like, that was John <laughs> Kerry and his wife. I was like, oh, shit. So, yeah. Anyway, fun fun times. Fun fact. Fun fact. Um, so she started working at this shop in Georgetown. Like, if you don't know, it's like Georgetown's like the super kind of ritzy, like, uh, boutique-y, wealthy area mm-hmm. uh, of DC. I have um, lots of lots of memories in uh, at Georgetown. It was a where my mom would go there sometimes, and then I'd get to go with her for like ooh. shopping, and then it would be like, "Let's go to Lululemon," and I was like, "I don't want to." Yeah, <laughs> I w- <laughs> I went there in college for. Um, there's no frats at Georgetown, but there were uh, things called let's see the Yacht Club. Uh, and so I went to those parties and they were quite an experience. I gotta say, I just like country club 2.0. Yeah. I was a fly (laughs) on that wall, uh, for most of the time. Um, but they all drink burnets. Uh, college kids are all the same. doesn't matter if you're in the goddamn (laughs) yacht club or not. Like you're all drinking burnets and playing beer. The only difference is, are you like in khakis and Sperry's or are you like in your sweatpants? So many Sperry's. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so she was at this um, Lululemon in Georgetown and she quit her hotel position because she wanted to um, work at Lululemon and try to build more like connections sure. to become Network. a personal trainer. Network, exactly. Um, and so in, in late February of 2011, Brittany is transferred to the Lululemon location in Bethesda, which is another really affluent part of D.C. It's a suburb of D.C. And she and Jaina became co-workers and so that's how these two paths intersect gotcha well so in early march um it was about a month after she had uh started britney scheduled an interview for a trainer position at an upscale gym around the corner uh from lululemon in bethesda and she was like really hoping that this new um interview at this uh upscale gym would be like her stepping stone and so that night, March 11th, um, Jaina and Brittany were the last ones working. So they closed up the store and Lululemon company policy, at least at the time, was that uh, the employees would check each other's bags to like um, check for shoplifting, basically. Gotcha. Uh, so Brittany checked um, Jaina's bag and Jaina checked Brittany's bag. And uh, Jaina, when she looked into Brittany's bag, found a pair of yoga pants. And we mm. remember Brittany's habit. Or a pattern, I guess. Her pattern, yeah. Her pattern. So she found a pair of yoga pants in Brittany's bag and there was no receipt. And Brittany was like, oh, no, no, I bought those from another coworker of ours. Like she sold them to me. She must have forgotten to give me the receipt. And the computers had already been logged out, so they couldn't log in to like make sure of it. Um, but so they go their separate ways at 945. And once she leaves, Jaina calls uh, this the associate that... Um, Brittany had said she bought the pants from and was like, did you sell Brittany these pants? And this woman said, no, I didn't sell her anything. 
And so Jane mm. is like, that's that's kind of what I thought. Like it seemed a little fishy that she didn't have a receipt. Yeah. Um, so then she calls the store manager and she's like, yo, I don't know what to do. Like, it looks like Brittany might've stolen something. And the manager is like, okay, you know what? Thank you for letting me know tomorrow. I'll deal with it. Like we'll fire her tomorrow. Um, for now, just go home. We'll handle it. Sure. So around 10 PM, this is about 15 minutes later, uh, Jana gets a call from Brittany. And Brittany says, hey, I left my wallet in the store, but I don't have the key. Can you come back to the store and let me in so I can grab my wallet? Mm. So Jana drives all the way back to the store, parks out front, like puts her hazards on, is parked like in a legal spot. And she and Brittany enter the shop together. So that's the night of March 11th. At 8 a.m. on March 12th, the store manager arrives to the store to find the doors unlocked. And she opens the door and finds the store ransacked and there is blood everywhere, like all over the store. She hears a moan. She runs outside, scared, calls the police and a bystander like comes up and is like, how can I help you? Um, And she's like, I think someone is hurt in there. And so the bystander goes into the store and he finds Jaina Murray. She is dead. Um, She is covered in blood and she has been beaten um, and she is in the back back room of the store. And so Ugh. as he's on his way out to like, I don't know, talk to the police or talk to the manager and tell her what he found, the bystander bystander hears um, like m- noises coming from um, another room and he finds Brittany Norwood, who has also been beaten, um, but she's breathing, she's alive and she has her hands zip tied and she's like, seems completely out of it, but she's alive. So police arrive at around 8, 12 a.m. And they take Brittany to the hospital. Um, like I said, she's still breathing, but she has cuts across her legs, her abdomen, her chest. Oh my God. She has a laceration on her head and her pants are cut open at the crotch. Oh, no. And so when Brittany, and she had fallen unconscious when she was being transferred to um, the hospital, but when she regains consciousness, she tells police, what had happened. They're like, what the fuck went on that night? And she said she was, she and Jana went into the back to look for her wallet. And, uh, when they went back there, they didn't find it. When they returned to the front of store, Jana was hit in the face by one of two masked men. They, she said they dragged, one of them dragged Jana to the back room. And Brittany tells police that she heard Jana fighting and screaming until the fighting and screaming faded away. Ugh. And the other masked man, she said there were two, uh, forced Brittany to get the keys to the safe, then dragged her by her hair to the bathroom where he beat, slashed, and sexually assaulted her until she passed out, waking up only when she was put into the ambulance. Okay. So this initial story, like the scene of the crime initially supports this story. So the store had been ransacked. Uh, The registers and computers were overturned and smashed. Merchandise was everywhere. Uh, There were bloody footprints from a men's sized 14 sneakers all over the store. Um, Jana's pants were also cut open at the crotch and it does appear she had been sexually assaulted as well. Uh, security footage from the back alley behind the store showed two men in dark clothing and knit hats hurrying down the alley right around the time when uh, Jaina says that they were, I'm sorry, when Brittany Brittany says they were leaving the scene. Um, So at this point, the Montgomery County police alert the public about the suspects and they offer a $150,000 reward for any information leading to their arrest. They're like, there are these two men that were seen leaving, passing the store um, who like brutally hurt these women. 
And as I said earlier, like Jaina obviously had not survived the attack. Um, and so they take her and, uh, you know, inspect her body and they determine the full extent of her injuries. So she had 331 distinct injuries to her body. Holy crap. Yeah. This one's pretty brutal. Um, she had 106 defensive wounds on her forearms and hands and had fought really hard for her life. Um, there had been multiple weapons used against her, including a wrench, a hammer, a box cutter, a rope, a metal T-bar from a clothing stand, a lint roller, scissors, and a knife from the break room. Holy shit. Yeah. So this is like an extremely violent, brutal, malicious attack. I'm also trying to think like in this – in like. If there's two people versus two people, like, why do you need that many tools? Yeah. And you know what? The weird thing, too, is that all of them, all of the tools came from within the store. So mm. they were all taken from the store and used in the store and left behind. Um, I see. None of them were brought with them. So, yeah, somebody would have had to go find all of these tools right. within the store and then go ahead and use them. Right. Um, so... This is probably the worst part. According to the medical examiner, Jana did not die until the final blow, which um, spine alert. I have a fear. I have a fear of spine. I've been dreading saying this comment for like two weeks now. Um, she had a knife wound to the back of her neck, which severed her spinal cord and penetrated her brain. And that's what eventually or ultimately killed her. She, oh, my God. Her, it's really, really brutal. Um, her beating and death took about 20 minutes, and she lived through 19 minutes and 45 seconds of it, which is just like, that's the kind of thing that when people ask me about doing a show like this, I'm like, that's the kind of thing that haunts me at night. This is also why, like, we were scared to do live shows in the beginning because, like, <laughs> yeah. you're at a comedy club talking about this stuff and no one's going to laugh. Like, and that's why it's so hard for me to find, it was so hard for me to find live topics because I was like, it it has to find be a fine line of scary, but like not so gruesome that right that everyone's uncomfortable and yeah exactly. Um, so this is also a really uh, upsetting point. I want to just preface real quick. Um, the Montgomery County Police Captain says that after she had died, uh, Jana was also assaulted, sexually assaulted with a wooden hanger. So another terrible wow. detail. Um, the store manager was like, listen, all I know is that last night Jaina called me and said she thinks Brittany had stolen something from the store. And at this time, they also find they happen to find the two men who were walking out back and they discover that these two men are dishwashers from a nearby restaurant and were just leaving work and had never actually been inside the store. So it was oh, literally it was just very perfect coincidence. Total coincidence that these two men happen to be walking back behind the camera. Um, so they're cleared as suspects. And there's only so the other thing that they're kind of like, well, you said there were two men, but there's only one set of footprints throughout the store. Oh, that's um, a good point. Yeah. And that hadn't really occurred to me either until they said it. And I was like, wait, yeah. Um, so they they actually find the sneakers uh, in the store and they had recently been washed and still contained blood evidence. They wait, were, they, so wait, they found the actual shoes still there? So someone took their shoes off to then run away? Yeah, so the shoes were actually the ones that the store used to measure and tailor pants. Oh. So they were like the store's stock men's shoes I that see. they used to like help tailor clothing, but they weren't right. actually owned by anybody. Um, so they were also from inside the from store. From inside, okay. And they had been washed and put back on the shelf where they 
were originally from. But they still contained blood evidence. So they were like, okay, that's it was Jane's so like, blood. In theory, I'm assuming we get to the point where this is Brittany. So like someone take <laughs> so someone spoilers. <laughs> so she literally put on the put on these shoes for tailoring then killed and then thought she could just like rinse them off with water and put them back and no one would notice. So essentially, yes. I mean, okay. I'll, I'll kind of explain yeah, like yeah, yeah. why she did it, but, but yeah, I mean, yes. It's just so like stupid. literally like you wouldn't yeah, at least so think stupid. to throw it away or something. Yeah. Well, remember she was found in the store. So like she hadn't oh, left right. the store. Right. Okay. So you're right. Like literally the reason anything or everything was found in the store was like a big telling point of like, wouldn't somebody who came from the outside have taken that with, with a box cutter? Like when yeah. they leave with their box cutter and their shoes and like not wash the shoes and put them back. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> so that's kind of where the thing, the tides turned and they were like, okay, something's wrong here. They also found Jaina's car in a parking lot about a block away. And, uh, Brittany and Jaina's blood were both found inside the car. What? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just that I did not see coming that me neither at the time. Um, so there were some Apple store employees, uh, who, which was like shared a wall with Lululemon, um, and two employees and a security guard told police they had heard a fight between two women around 10 30 PM the night before. And, uh, they heard a, a woman yelled, talk to me, don't do this. Talk to me. What's going on? Followed hmm. by screams, yelps, yells, and eventually a voice saying, God help me, please help me. So the employees had done nothing, uh, assuming it was just drama, quote unquote, is the actual word they used. Um, and this actually like has remnants or reminders of the the Kitty Genovese story, like the bystander myth right. um, of Psych 101 fame, yeah. um, <laughs> which actually, which is, you know, the story of where uh, a woman was murdered and they said 32 bystanders were watching and everyone thought the other person would call the police. So no one called the police yeah. and she was murdered. And since then, um, that has been debunked as just really terrible journalism. Um, there's actually a movie that her brother created called The Witness that delves into that. Um, and in 2016, the New York Times called its own reporting on the case flawed, um, stating that the original story grossly exaggerated the number of witnesses and uh, what they had perceived. Also, two people did call 911 and uh, the events happened in multiple locations. So no one was like just standing there watching her murder. Anyway, that's just a side note. Um, but so that kind of reminds me of the story because it's like they just heard this through the wall and we're like, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. If it were something, someone else will handle it, you know. Right. And nothing was done. And you just wonder like if they had checked or if they had called the police, what would have happened? Not that I'm blaming right. them, but it's just like you wonder how close it could have been to being stopped. Um, yeah. Anyway, police uh, at this point are like, okay, Brittany, something is up with this chick. She's like clearly not telling us the truth um, and she's hiding something. So they ask her to submit DNA and fingerprints. Um, they, they're just like, oh, no, we just want to rule it out at the scene um, to make sure we find the right person's DNA. So at this point, Brittany says, they ask, hey, were you ever in Jana's car? And she's like, no, I wasn't. And, and bingo. <laughs> bingo, bingo. They're like, well, we caught you already in a lie. Uh, they found they find Brittany's DNA, like I said, in Jana's car, but also in the shoes. So ding, ding, ding. Bingo, bango, red flag. I the see. medical examiner finds no evidence of sexual assault on Brittany, despite her story that she had also been raped. 
Um, and her wounds were superficial. And the interesting thing, too, is that the blood on her cuts dried in a downward drip um, in front of her face and her limbs, which suggests she was um, upright, even though she was found on the floor and said she oh, was being attacked. It should have been like spread outward right. or something. It would have like fa- off her head. It would have fallen onto the floor or however. But right. her head injury, which she said she received while on the floor, was actually Dripping the wrong direction. Yeah. Thanks to gravity. Physics was. (laughs) Exactly. Basic physics. Basic physics 101. Um, And also the fact that her hands were tied in front of her. They were like, this isn't normal for a criminal to do that. Like a person can zip tie their own hands in front of them, but it doesn't make sense to do because it's a lot easier to get out of uh, if you're a criminal. Um, so Brittany at this point realizes like she's been caught in a lie about being in Jaina's car and she voluntarily without being asked, it uh, goes down to the police station. And when she's there, she tells police, oh, well, I remember now why I was in the car. And they're like, okay, please enlighten us. And she says, I was in the car because the masked men forced me to move the car to some, another location. And so they're like, okay. When you remember that? <laughs> yeah. A, like, why would you have lied or misremembered that? And B, so she said she was told to move the car and come back or they would kill her like they killed Jaina. And they're like, well, if you were out there on your own, why didn't you make a run for it or call the police? And she had a car and she said she was by herself in the car. Right. Because they hadn't found anybody else's DNA in there. So um, she said she was too scared. So she came back and parked the car and walked back into the store, which just like makes no sense. You, you know, I don't think anyone would do that, um, whether you're scared or not. And then on March 18th, 2011. Uh, so this is the same day they're holding a vigil for Jaina outside the Lululemon store in Bethesda. Brittany Norwood is arrested on the charge of first degree murder. Uh So I know. So I guess we knew we were heading here, but now we're here. Well, we we've anticipated the ride this whole time and now we're on it. <laughs> so much fun, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so the trial itself, the motive of theft um, was deemed inadmissible. So they because this was hearsay. So the manager said, oh, well, um, Brittany called me or sorry, Jana called me and said Brittany had stolen something. And they were like, well, that's hearsay. So we can't use that as a motive in court. Right. So they didn't even have that ability to share that with the jury. Um the prosecution proceeded without a motive and started to paint this like really fucked up picture of what happened. They said, Brittany lured Jaina back to the store uh, to get her wallet, but in reality was luring her back with the sole intention of killing her. Mm. Uh, they present the physical and forensic evidence to prove the following. So number one, Brittany had beaten Jaina for 20 minutes, stopping the assault to find different weapons and then resuming the beating. So like you said, it, you would have had to go and find all the different weapons. Um, number two, it's really awful. Um, number two, Jaina fought hard for her life. Um, and there was, you know, as they had proven, there were defensive wounds and blood spatter, proving that she had um, been alive for a majority of it, uh, that she was alive until her 331st wound. And then... Um, they believe number four, Brittany spent the rest of the night staging a fake crime scene to cover her own crime. So then the defense comes up and they basically take everyone by surprise. They say, yes, Brittany did kill Jaina. She admits to it. However, your big butt is back. Em. I, it, it, <laughs> it swung too far and threw me. <laughs> 
They say, yes, Brittany did kill Jaina, but it was not premeditated. It was just like the heat, like passion, you know, in the heat, heat of, of the, the moment. moment. Yeah. Like it was, she just got angry and that. snapped. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, me neither. So the defense was like, okay, this was just a crime of passion. Um, we want a verdict of second degree murder so that she has a chance at parole. Um the trial ends in a matter of weeks, and on November 6, 2011, after just an hour of deliberations, the jury finds Brittany Norwood guilty of first-degree murder, despite mm. not even hearing the motive about theft. They didn't even hear that, like, that was why she would have gone back huh. uh, or why she would have killed her, but they just believed from the evidence that she killed her, whether there was a reason or not. Right. Um, on January 27th, so the Norwood family and the Murray family both spoke in court. It was, like, apparently extremely emotional. Yeah. Um, the judge after this hands down his sentence and he sentences Brittany to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And upon sentencing, he says to Brittany, quote, you will live. There will be Christmases. There will be telephone calls. There will be visits. The only visits Jaina Murray will have are those to her grave. Wow. And so that is how she ended up um, being uh, put away for life. And just a couple, like, last notes here. Um, so Jaina was posthumously awarded her graduate degrees from Johns Hopkins. Uh, Brittany made one appeal, uh, which was denied, and that was on April 29, 2015. She's currently serving her sentence at Maryland Women's Correctional Facility in Jessup, Maryland, and because her uh, her appeal was denied, she's pretty much stuck. Like, there's virtually no chance of her getting wow. out. Um, okay. The Bethesda Lululemon erected a colorful stained glass mural that says love, and they dedicated that to Jaina. Um, and when they moved to a new location later that year, the mural didn't fit in their new window, so they shipped it to Jaina's family, who now has it oh, wow. on display, which is really cool. Um, they So the store, Lululemon, actually continues to honor her Jaina every year on the anniversary of her death. Uh, and her family created a foundation in her memory called the Jaina Troxel Murray Foundation, uh, and the website seems to have not been updated in a long time, and the donation page is under construction, but it's thejainatmf.org if anyone wants to check that out. And, um, yeah, that's the story. There's, like, a Lifetime movie that's loosely based on it called, I think, Secrets of My Stepdaughter, which I have not seen, but hmm. seems like a, a stretch. Secrets of My Stepdaughter? I don't know. And but apparently why that's did, based on it. Why did it come out recently again? The Why did it come back up? You know, I don't know, but it like was trending on Twitter. And I think somebody just had like posted about it again, like maybe uh, some crime show or blog or something posted about it. And so a lot of people who had never heard about it. I get started, it. It's resurfacing. Like, exactly. It just resurfaced. Um, much like that Ouija meme that we just hate so much <laughs> that just keeps coming just, back. <laughs> it will never end. It'll never end. Yeah, so that's why a lot of people recently had uh, requested it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that when that happened. Um, it was really wow. scary. So Oy. twists and turns at Lula. It had to be so eerie going to work, like, after they cleaned up. Can you imagine, like, having to go back and be like, everything's normal, right? Like, everything was covered in blood. Like, imagine, like, time, yeah. like, the clothing. They had to, like, probably take it all down and, like, put new stuff back yeah. up and, like... And like doing or like going into the break room where like her body is taken from and like the shoes having to use those men's oh, shoes. Oh, use again. them again. Yeah. They had to replace those, right? Oh, so they did prove that what she did, I forgot to answer that question that you brought up earlier. So what she did was after she had murdered her, she was like, shit, now I need to stage a crime scene. So she took those shoes, put them on, and then tracked 
uh, uh, Jaina's blood all over the store as an attempt to be like, there was a man here. Um, So she hadn't had them on during the murder, but she put them on afterward. So, yikes. Anyway, that was a long episode, folks. Sorry about that. (laughs) I think it was pretty juicy, though. I think they were both really good stories. I was, like, invested. Anyway, I'm always invested. But this one was extra, (laughs) just, like, edge of your seat. Yeah. So, anyway, that's it for today, I guess. One was about magic. One was about lemons. It's just the most magical episode of all. (laughs) And the most twisted. Definitely the most twisted. Well, I appreciated it. You did some good research on Christine. Oh, same to you, my friend. All right. Well, thank you, guys. If you want to check out any of our stuff, should we do like our our little plug? Sure. Yeah. Uh, So we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Well, we have uh, ATWWD podcast. Yeah. Um, And we have Patreon. You can look us up. ATWWD is buzzing, I think. Oh, it's an Amber Alert. Oh, shit. Oh, Oh, God. This is a creepy episode. Ay, ay, ay. Well... Anyway, you know, we have stuff that's on social media. Go to and that's where drink.com. Go to ATWWE merch to buy your cool hoodie. Um, and we will continue posting updated tour dates as they come in. And um, we love you all very much. Yeah. 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 And that's why we drink. I'm going to go drink more <laughs> orange lava burst. I'm going to go drink so much wine. Yay. Okay. <laughs> Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.